All right, who's ready to get into uh, the, the next part of our Strong and Courageous sermon series? I am so ready. Um, you know, we canceled, we canceled service last week because of the inclement weather. And I just want you to know, that's the first time we have ever canceled service in the history of U City Family Church. In seven years, we have never canceled. But it was so outrageously bad last Sunday that we had to cancel. Um, but some, some of our early bird t- dream team members... Uh, we're already here and already like getting things ready, setting things up, getting everything together. And so, um, so we decided, this small group of us, there were probably 10 of us, uh, we decided, look, you know, we're, since service is canceled, we're going to just go across the street to Peacock Diner and have some breakfast together, have a good time. So, so we go over there and we're having, having some breakfast and talking and enjoying one another. And um, uh, our operations director, Carol Cloud, the church phone was being forwarded to her cell phone. And so we were getting some calls from people saying, hey, are you guys open? Are you canceled today? You know, are you? And um, so she got one call and I, and I saw this really funny smile come across her face. And what, what had happened was somebody called and said, hey, are you guys open today? And Carol said, no, I'm sorry because of the weather. You know, we're, we're closed today. And apparently the person really wanted to come because they said a word that rhymes with slam and begins with D. You can do, we have kids here, so I can, but they said that word, we really wanted to come and visit you guys this week. So if that was you, slam, we are so happy to have you here this week. So thanks for coming. We're glad, glad you're here. (laughs) Um, I just really like that. They were like so excited about coming to church that it caused them to curse. So what are you going to do? We're in part five of our Strong and Courageous series. Uh, We've been exploring the book of Joshua, the first chapter of the book of Joshua, and now we're moving on uh, to the second chapter of the book of Joshua. And today I want to talk, I'm going to read a passage to you, but this is a really profound and powerful passage because what it really talks about is the power of, of, of your life to impact other people's lives for the glory of God. The power of your life to impact other people's lives for the glory of God. And I want to read a story to you. The context was that if you've been following us, uh, following this sermon series, uh, you know that God has been telling Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Go into the land that I promised you. I've got this territory for you. I want you to go into it. Uh, And the children of Israel had been wandering around for 40 years. And so now it's time for them to cross the line and go into the promised land that God promised. But in an abundance of caution, Joshua decides, before we go, I want to send in a couple spies into the territory and just check it out before we cross the river and go in. So this is the story of the spies who went into the land. And I want to read this story out to you and then we'll kind of pull it apart and, and see what we can apply to our lives. Here's what it says in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. It says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, is how we pronounce that. It says, um, and he said to them, go, look over the land, especially Jericho. Now, this is interesting because the land of Canaan was a huge area. But he wanted them to focus on this one walled fortress called Jericho. And the reason he wanted them to focus on Jericho is because Jericho was basically the gateway to the rest of the promised land. It was a fortified city. There were these streams that came down to it. There were these two valleys that led to the north and to the south. And if you took Jericho, you could take the whole land. 
Sometimes God is saying to some of us, I need you to tackle that big thing in your life. I want you to have the strength and courage to address the real big thing that's holding you back from where I want to take you. And I want, I want you to know I've got the power to help you through it, but I don't want you to skirt around it. I want you to step into it. So he said, I want you to take Jericho first, and then the rest of the land opens up to you. Then an interesting twist happens in the story right out of the gate. So the spies, it says, they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, if you're, you know, if you're reading this, this text, there's, this is kind of a, a head turner. Like if you've never heard this story, God says to Joshua, go into the land. Joshua tells his spies, spies, go and spy out the land. Next sentence, the spies go to um, a brothel and stay there for the night. And so a lot of commentators have tried to figure out why in the world did these guys go to Rahab, the prostitute's house, when they were told to go and spy on the land. So there's a redemptive reason that we're going to talk about in just a moment, but there was a practical reason. The practical reason is because they wanted to remain incognito. They, they, wanted, they were spies, and so part of being a spy, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. So they figured that they would go into a place where everybody else was also trying to remain incognito, and everybody else was also trying to remain under the radar. You know, it's, it's not like the people there are going to go home that night and say, hey, honey, I was down at the red light district, and I saw a couple strange-looking guys, right? So they're going in there to kind of stay under the radar. They went, and they stayed at the house of Rahab the prostitute. But apparently, some of the local politicians were also staying there that night because it says the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. The king of Jericho was, to, uh, was told this. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Now, when it says sent this message, what it means is sent a couple burly guards to go say this to Rahab. And here was the message. Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, it should be a really easy decision for Rahab to turn over these spies. First of all, there are at least two guards standing there telling her to do it. Second of all, she's being informed that these are enemy combatants that are staying in her house. Third of all, this is a king's order, right? So this should be easy. This is not a hard decision. If she does not do what the king says, she is committing treason and can be executed and her family can be executed and everything that she has can be destroyed, right? But Rahab chooses to do something very interesting because doing the right thing is not always doing the easy thing, right? Sometimes in life, the efficient thing is not the right thing. And so Rahab decides to not follow the king's command. This is what it says. It says, but Rahab, but the, the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. She said to the guards, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, and you may catch them. So this is what she told the guards. But, Scripture says, but actually she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. Stalks of flax are basically this sort of long kind of weed thing that, that you make linen out of. And, and they dry out on the roof. And she had told the spies to go hide under this, uh, under this flax and then... Um, and then she was going to hide them. So the guards set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. 
Now take a moment and just imagine what's happening. Like, like get in your mind what's happening. This is a woman, she owns a, a, a house of ill repute. Some guards come, uh, some spies come and are hiding in her house. The guards come and say, turn these guys over. But at, at the risk of everything, she says, no, I'm gonna hide them. I'm gonna hide them, I'm gonna rescue them, I'm gonna save them. The question that I ask is why? Why would she do this? Like why would she risk everything in her life to protect some perfect strangers, people that she has no ties with, no connection with, never met before. Why is she doing this? Why is she risking everything to save these strangers? We find out in her dialogue with the men in the next verse. It says this, before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up to the roof and said to them, and this is what she said. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Now, when she says the Lord, and you kind of miss this in the, in the text, but in the Hebrew, she's actually saying Yahweh. She's, she's saying the name, their, God's name. Now, she's not a Yahweh person. She's not a, an Israelite. She's not a, a, a Hebrew. She's not a, a worshiper of this God, but she knows his name. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. Why? Because of you. Somebody say, because of me. We have heard, she said, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og. Sihon and Og is not a death metal band. It was two Amorite kings. The two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. In other words, she says, I've heard how not only... You, you, you came out of Egypt, but I heard that you guys have been attacked by other uh, Canaanites and you have prevailed against them despite the fact that they were better armed, that they were better equipped, that they were fortified. So she's hearing all of these stories. She says, when we heard of this, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you, say because of me. For the Lord your God, now this is, a, this is a theological truth claim she's making. She said, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now let me pause for a second. I want you to remember this. This is a woman who is a Canaanite. She lives in Jericho. She's a prostitute. She's never been to Hebrew school. She's never read the Bible. She's never, she's never seen any kind of scripture. She's never had a visitation from an angel. She's never had God speak to her about who he is. And yet she is making these claims about God that are theologically accurate, that he's an all-powerful God, that he's a mighty God, that he honors his promise, that he cares for his people and he brings them out of, of slavery that he parts the Red Sea for them. I, no doubt she had heard the stories of manna being brought down from heaven and water coming from a rock. In other words, all of the theological information she has about God is coming from the reputation of the people who follow him. She kept saying, remember what she kept saying? Because of you. Because of you. So she's got this information about God, but the information that she has about God is coming not by any other means except by the reputation of God's followers. You know where we're going with this? Right? It's God's followers' reputation 
that makes her understand who God is. And she must have also understood from some story that she heard that God was kind and just. Because this, this is what she says next. She says, now then, please swear to me by Yahweh, swear to me by your God, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Now notice she doesn't just say, just promise me that you'll do it. She says, I want you to swear by your God, right? Because first of all, I don't know if I can trust you, but I think I might be able to trust him. So I want you to swear to me by God that you'll show kindness to me. They answer her. They say, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Everything she knew about God, she knew because of the reputation of God's followers. The last few weeks we've been exploring this passage. A few weeks ago we did a sermon called Your Turn. And we talked about it's your turn to step into the promise that God has for you. And then the week after that we did a sermon where we talked about your territory, right? And this is where God wants you to go. And then uh, the week after that, we talked about your training and how God is teaching us how to live a life that is in obedience to him. Today, I want to speak on the topic of your testimony, your testimony, your life, your life gives information to other people about the nature and character of the God you serve, your testimony. Today I want to do, I want to start with a little bit of audience participation, and I need everybody involved, okay? We're going to all do something together. You're going to love this, believe me. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some, some images on the screen of different logos of different companies, okay? And you don't need to tell me the name of the company because the names will be obvious. What I want you to do is to shout out the reputation of the company that is identified by the logo that you see. Are you with me? Shout out the reputation. We're going to start with something really easy, all right? Here we go. Show them the first one. Reputation. Luxury. Classy. Expensive. Okay. Good. German. All right. Good. All right. That was an easy one. Here we go. What about this one? Millennials. What was that? Quality. Sexy, modern, what? Reliable. We had some bitter PC users in the first service, and they had some different ideas about this one. All right, but I see we're an Apple crowd in the second service. I don't know if that has to do with you just get up later or what that what that is. All right, let's little little more. Here we go. Reputation here. What is it? Expensive, necessary, <laughs> all right, okay, good, all right, we're going to get controversial now, you ready, let's, let's ramp it up a little bit, sweatshops, I got an audible groan, the, the reputation is audible groan, okay, I used to, hey, I used to, I used to pull carts for for Sam's Club, so I'm, I gotta remain loyal to the brand. But anyway, all right, now, let's ramp it up a little bit. Next one. Yeah, yeah come on. Gourmet? 
Delicious? Amen. I will hear nothing negative about emos. All right, last one. This may split the church. Here we go. Net last one. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, you can take it down before we have to give an altar call and launch a second church. Um, here's the reality. The reality is this. Whatever these companies provide, they, their reputation is contingent, at least in part, by the people who work for them, by the people who represent them, right? There's a restaurant that I would love to love in St. Louis. I'm not going to mention it at all. I'm not going to mention the name or I'm not, I promise I'm not even going to hint at it. It's a cool restaurant. It's got great food. It's got a great ambiance. It's got great atmosphere. It's in a cool location. My kids love it. My wife loves it. I love it. It's a great restaurant in terms of what it actually offers. But the service, man, the service is just not there. It's just lacking, right? And so over time, as much as I want to go to this restaurant, as much as I love the food and I love the ambiance, it's like the people who work there do not represent it well. And so the reputation of that restaurant has begun to slide and diminish in our family because of our experiences with the people who work there, right? In any one of these companies that you see, you might love Starbucks coffee. You might think it's the best coffee in the whole world. But if you went in there and the barista was unkind and, and, and inattentive and all of that kind of stuff, eventually the reputation would begin to diminish, right? All of us are, this is a powerful truth for us to get our heads around, but we're learning it from this passage. We are representatives of the God that we serve. If you're a follower of Jesus, you not only represent yourself, but you represent the one who you owe your life to. And your life is a representation of him. His reputation is contingent upon your actions. So the question I want to ask us, each and every one of us today is this. What impact do your actions have on God's reputation? What impact do your actions have on God's reputation? No pressure. Kind of heavy, right? Now, if you're like me, the answer to that question is, it depends on the kind of day I'm having when you catch me and gauge my actions, right? Because on a good day, my actions are a good representation of the God I serve. On a good day, I'm loving and I'm kind and I'm patient. And I don't, I don't mean 24-hour day. I mean at a certain point in the day, right? So like I might have a really solid hour, right? Where it's just like, man, I am. If you, if you gauge me on that hour, you're going to go, his God must be wonderful. Because look how kind and generous and thoughtful he is, right? But if you catch me at an inopportune time, then, and, and you gauge God's reputation on my actions during that slot of time, um, then you might not think my God is so awesome, right? If you catch me when I'm sitting in traffic, if you catch me when my, my, my computer is like the, the pinwheel is spinning and it's not loading fast enough, if you catch me when my kids are getting on my nerves, if you catch me when I'm too tired, if you catch me too late at night, right? If you catch me at the wrong time, then my actions will not necessarily be a great reputation uh, for God. And the question that we're asking ourselves is this, what, is our, what do our actions have on God's reputation to the people in our sphere of influence? 
Now, this can, this can be, if you, depending on how you look at it, it can seem like this really kind of oppressive, heavy-handed kind of thing to say, like, you better get it right because if you don't, you know, people will not turn to God. And it can be a condemning kind of thing, right? But the other thing, the other way to look at it is this. You have an opportunity to be a representative of something so much greater and more beautiful than you. You have an opportunity to participate in a purpose and a mission and a vision that is so greater for, than you. You have an opportunity to be part of something that is everlasting and is wonderful and will transform people's lives and will transform the history of your family and of the world because you have an opportunity to step into a mission that's bigger than you. In fact, I remember when I first became a Christian, I came across, I was reading everything, and I came across this, um, it, was, it, was the, it was a catechism, you know, a teaching book, a Westminster Catechism. And one of the questions said, what is the chief end of man? And in other words, what's the purpose of, of, of a human being's life? And the response it gave, and then it gave all these scriptures to it, it said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to uh, enjoy him forever. And I thought to myself, that is such a powerful way to look at life because suddenly, if I become a follower of Jesus, now I understand my purpose. And my purpose doesn't have to do with like finding the exact right career or finding the exact right person or finding the exact right uh, a thing to do with my life, I get to start to, to glorify God right now where I am. Whatever I'm doing, bring glory to God in that. That's my purpose. I, it, it doesn't matter what kind of job I have. It doesn't matter if I'm in school or if I'm not in school. I get to be a part of something greater just by, by embracing this new identity as a representative of God. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says this. He, he describes it in 2 Corinthians. He says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and then check this out, as though God were making his appeal through us. God, do you understand what the scripture is saying here is that God is making his appeal to other people and you are the mechanism through which he is making his appeal to those other people. These spies were the mechanism through which Rahab learned about the nature and the character of God. God is making his appeal through them. And remember, she kept saying, because of you, because of you, because of you. If you're taking notes, write down these two words. Write down my actions, my actions. Your actions have an impact on the way others perceive God. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, they're going to look at you and they're going to make an assumption about the God you serve through your actions. When I was a high schooler, um, I was on the wrestling team. And when you get on the team, you know, if you when you make varsity, they give you a jacket. And it's a letterman, letterman's jacket. And I remember my coach, Coach Jeffries. And Coach Jeffries would say to us, he'd get us together, and you know, in a coaching voice, he'd say, guys, when you put on this jacket, you're not just representing yourself anymore. You're representing this team, you're representing me, you're representing this school, you're representing everything we stand for. So when you're wearing this jacket, I want you to represent it well. And we're all like, yes, sir, coach. And we'd go out and we felt pretty cool because now we represent something bigger than ourselves, right? And then, at least for me, if I was going to do something questionable, I would just take off that jacket and be like, now I can do whatever I want to do, and then I'm going to put this jacket back on, right? I don't think that's what he was going for. What happens when we become followers of Jesus is we put, the scriptures say we put on Christ. We put on Christ and we get to be representatives of him. We get to be ambassadors for him. We get to be people who are who are demonstrating through our actions who God is. 
We get an opportunity to, to, to live out a life that is greater than ourselves, to live out a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, to live out a mission and a vision that is bigger than us. Let me read it to you like this. In First Peter, it says this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, meaning those who are not, not God followers, live such good lives among them that what? They may see your good deeds and glorify God. In other words, your, your life is the testimony. Your life is the scripture. Your life is the message. Jesus put it this way. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, again, this can be, this can feel weighty, right? I mean, even as, as you're sitting here today, some of you are going, well, let me just think back about my actions over the last 24 hours. Did they actually represent God well or not? Well, here's, here's the beautiful thing. Because Rahab, if you'll notice, mentioned a lot of great things that the children of Israel did. But by God's grace, there were a lot of things that she didn't mention. She didn't mention the fact that they had wandered around in disobedience and fear for 40 years. She didn't mention that. She didn't mention that they had forged a golden calf and bowed down and worshiped that calf instead of worshiping God. She didn't mention that they had been grumbling and complaining and stubborn and backstabbing. She didn't mention all the bad stuff, right? Because, because the beautiful thing is, it's not just your actions that, that, that are, that are you know, going to make everybody contingent on whether or not they follow God. It's his power inside of you. You don't have to do this alone. It's not your actions based on your own power. It's your actions based upon his power. You see, here's what the scripture said. When you look at what she described and how she described their actions, there were a few points in her, in her conversation where we get to see that she was seeing the power behind the power. Look at these three scriptures. In verse 9, she said, I know that the Lord has given you this land, right? So she's saying, I know that you guys took the land, but wait a minute, I actually know that the Lord is the one who gave you the power. She said, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. So you guys didn't do that. You just walked across. But the Lord did it. Then she said, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So this is the beautiful thing about grace. This is the beautiful thing about our action and his power. Is that we don't have to, we can't possibly do it all right on our own. So we cannot live in condemnation like, oh, I messed up. Now I, can't, you know, now I can't be a representative of God. If that were the reality, then none of us could be the representative of God, right? Because the children of Israel had done all kinds of lousy things. And she still, despite that, saw God's power through them, right? There's a, there's a, um, a role in, in, in boxing. I'm a, I'm a boxing fan and a mixed martial arts fan. And I just love those kinds of sports. I can't help it. I just do. And uh, if, you, if you ever look in a ring, there are always three competitors in the ring. There are the two fighters, both of whom are strong and fast and powerful, right? And then there's a third person in the ring. The third person is the referee. And the referee is usually not as strong, not as fast, not as well-trained, not as tough, not as heavy as the, as, the, as the competitors, but actually the referee has more power than either of the competitors because the referee has the power of the state athletic commission behind him or her. So that referee has the power to disqualify one of the, one of the opponents, has the power to award points to either one of the opponents, has the power to call the fight. 
That referee has power that doesn't, is not contingent upon his or her own power. You understand? It's the power behind the person that gives them power. What God is saying is this. I am going to give you the power to do the actions that I want you to do to bring me glory. It's not on your own strength. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you learn that you just cannot do this stuff on your own. Right? You cannot do this. So when you hear a sermon that is full of condemnation and coming, you know, you got to live it up right, you got to do it right, just know that, that you, just, you just know you're not going to ever fool. We learned this two weeks ago when the Apostle Paul said, the thing that I want to do, I, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, gosh, I keep doing that. Right? But it's his power that will give you strength over time to become the man or woman that he wants you to be. In fact, if we read in Acts, here's what the scripture says. It says, you will receive power. Not your power, God's power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is your testimony. Your life will be a witness to the glory of God. You will be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Ephesians... Uh, it says this, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, how? According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. Here's what I want to get across to you today. I want you to know that whatever it is you're striving to do, whatever it is that you're striving to be, that testimony that you're striving to live out, I want you to know that you can receive God's power to give you strength to live that out. Don't struggle to try to do that on your own. Be receptive to God's power. Let his work, let his spirit work inside of you and empower you to live out the life that he's called you to live. Because when your actions meet his power, there will be eternal results. There will be eternal results. Here's the beautiful thing about the story of Rahab that I love so much. Rahab heard about this God through the stories about, of these followers of God. She learned about him through their actions, right? And then she became a follower of God. In fact, if you know how this story ends, the spies left. They went and told uh, Joshua, we can take the land. They came and they took the land, but they saved Rahab and her family. They saved her. And Rahab, the scripture says, got married and had a child. And then her child got married and had a child. And then that child got married and had a child. On down the line, 1,300 years later, in a little town about 20 miles from Jericho, a little town called Bethlehem, there was a baby born. And he was the Christ. He was our Lord and Savior. He came down through the lineage of a prostitute in Jericho who became a God follower based upon the actions of God's followers. What she learned about the reputation of God through the actions of his people. Here's the beautiful thing. If you're here today and you're, you have not lived that life, you have not been the ambassador for Christ, your life has not been exemplary, right? Rahab was a prostitute for much of her life and became the, the great, 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 great grandmother of Christ. You have no idea the impact that your life can have when you open up and receive God's power in your life. When you allow his power to inform your actions, there will be eternal results. I even think about, and I'm gonna close with this, in, in, in my own family's life, um, I, didn't, I never got to meet my great-grandfather on my dad's side, but I, I knew stories about him. 
And he was a hard person. He had a hard life. He struggled. They were poor. He, uh, I think he struggled with a lot of his own demons, with his temper and with alcohol and with self-control and a lot of things that, that I understand to have been um, just very, very rough life that he lived. And somewhere along the, the line, someone came into their family and testified of the, of the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. And somewhere along the line, my, grand, my great-grandfather, his heart melted, and he became a Christ follower. And then he passed that down to his son, my grandfather, who became a, a man of God. And then he passed that down to his son, my dad. My dad passed that to me, and I hope to pass that to my children. And, and we don't know how many lives are impacted by the testimony of one person who came to one man four generations ago. Your life can be a testimony that can have eternal results. You don't know the, you don't know the result. Rahab could not have known that 1,300 years later, her life, her life would be, a, she would become a direct descendant of the Christ. She had no way of knowing that. But she allowed her life to become a testimony because of the testimony that she had seen in others. So my prayer for you today, my challenge for you today is this. I want you to, to allow God to work in your life this week. And I want you to make a commitment to do one thing that elevates God's reputation in your sphere of influence. One thing that elevates God's reputation in your sphere of influence. Maybe that means picking up the phone and calling somebody that you need to ask forgiveness for something you said or did. Maybe that means actually forgiving somebody for something that they said or did. Maybe it means an act of kindness towards somebody in need or an act of generosity towards somebody that, that is in need. Maybe it's just an act of compassion. But that's the challenge to you this week. Let your life become a testimony. Let God's power be at work in you so that you might be a testimony to somebody else of God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness and God's love. Like Rahab, like the children of Israel, let your life be a testimony. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for your word today. Father, we ask that we would not experience condemnation, but that we would experience encouragement and inspiration to allow your power to work inside of us, that we might become the men and the women that you've called us to be, that we might be a testimony as a people to this city of who you really are, that we might represent you, God, represent your love, your mercy, your grace, and your power that we would elevate your reputation in the land through our actions and through our words, that people might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. God, I pray that our lives, our lives individually and collectively would become a testimony to your goodness, your grace, and your power. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.